welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning, friends. How's everybody doing? Glad to see you. Saw some Packer jerseys again. I'm waiting for them to not show up on a Sunday, but they keep winning. But uh, My name's Mike. If we haven't met, glad you're here. If you're from Wisconsin, I don't mean to offend you. Um, is anybody cheering? Who, P- Patriots? Patriots? Okay. Colts? We got a couple Colts fans. Oh, a couple. Loud and proud, all right. Seattle, a couple of Seahawks fans, and then Packers. All right. You guys may be the majority. You may be the majority. And for all of you who don't like sports or don't care about sports, hello to you too. That's, that's my wife, Laura. All right, all right. Okay, let's get on to, let's get on to more important things. Uh, I invite you to turn to the book of Hebrews if you are not there yet. We'll be in chapter 2. And uh, if you're new to Awaken, we're in a, a series on the book of Hebrews. We're just walking through that. And uh, man, such a great book. We've, we've, we've spent a little bit of time talking about... The opening, which is just this really, really important section where the writer talks about Jesus as the exact representation of God. So if we want to know what God looks like, we need to look no further than Jesus. And in the last couple of weeks, we've been in this, this dialogue or really this sort of long, uh, drawn-out argument about angels. And uh, we're actually going to be there a little bit again today. So Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 5, I'll ask you to stand and we will read through the end of the chapter. He says this, It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. Pause. That's a key. Okay, so tune in there. He says it's not the angels that he's subjected the world to come, right? The kingdom. So that's really the the whole argument is about that. Uh, But there is a place where someone has testified. Now he's quoting Psalms. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? a son of man that you care for him, that you made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and you put everything under their feet. Talking about humans. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them, you and I, Brothers and sisters, he says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear and death. For surely it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself was, uh, has suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Pray with me. God, uh, wow, so much being said 
in this passage. Give us, give me, the teacher, uh, the words and the eyes to see the truth that exists in this passage. Um, God, wherever we've come from today, whether it be a place of joy or a place of anxiety or fear or hope or uh, sadness, I pray, God, that you might, by your spirit, you might meet us right where we are, that you would give us a word of hope, a word of encouragement, a word of life that would uh, draw us out or invite us to take one step further, one step closer, one more step in our journey uh, that is following you. So Holy Spirit, be near us, um, we pray, and all God's people said. Amen. You can have a seat. Like I said, friends, there is a ton of important theological statements being made in this passage. I mean, a lot of times when you hear people talk about God in church and maybe in religious circles, you'll hear things about Jesus had to be fully human and fully God, and, and, there's all, and that's all in here. You, you, you hear about um, people saying that Jesus suffered, and, and so he knows what we've been going through. He knows what we go through. That's in here. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to, um, I want to sort of draw a big picture. In order for us to really understand, this is a bi- uh, sort of a micro-narrative. We're deep in the text. We're deep in the middle of the story. And there's something that's being said that's particular, but it's also tapping into something that's very, very uh, general isn't the right word, but that's large and in the, the meta-narrative of Scripture. So I want to sort of uh, back us up a little bit and show that picture, and then ask, how is the text inviting us, or how is the text showing us that we're getting to the end of the big picture? Okay, does that make sense a little bit? So that's what I want to do this morning. Uh, and, and how does this picture happen, or how does God uh, sort of speak to that in this scripture? And we'll notice uh, when we sort of move into that, there'll be three key movements, as it were. Uh, so the first, this, this story, uh, which... I would maybe say it this way, uh, back to the beginning again. Uh, and if you've been around Awaken long enough, and you've been around me long enough, you know that this is a tendency that I do, where we go back to the beginning of the story to help us understand what's being said in the larger narrative. Uh, and in order for us to understand the last, I think, the last three weeks of study and what the author's been trying to say all along, we have to frame this micro-narrative in, the, in a bigger meta-narrative. It's... Uh, it's the meta-narrative that the entirety of the scriptures is trying to tell. And it happens to be the story that we find ourselves in right now. So here's what I mean. I'm going to do some drawing here, okay? Uh, if you could imagine a scenario where we have uh, the beginning and we have God's good world, right? Uh, over all of this is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit sort of over all of creation, and, and in the end will be over all of this whole illustration. But in the beginning you have, sorry, John Mark, nice guitar. I've got one in the shop that you can use if I break it. Uh, and the, the original invitation of creation, that's a woman, that's a man. The original invitation of creation, you have to remember, is that God, the creator, invites Adam and Eve to not be subjects, or not be servants, or not be subservient to, but to be the agents of God's rule and reign. What I mean by that is, if God has hopes and dreams for creation, if God has uh, what what the Hebrews call shalom, if that's what God intends to happen in this good world, then humanity is invited to be partners with God and to be the agents of, or to rule and reign in God's kingdom. And we don't use that kind of language, rule and reign, so essentially, they're being asked to partner with God to make happen what God wants to happen. Make sense? So of course, in Genesis 3, we all know that they choose to eat from a tree, 
the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here's an apple, a couple of apples. Maybe there's, that looks like a, looks like Pac-Man or something, right? That's, that's actually a tree, gang. It's a tree. And so they, uh, Adam and Eve, essentially forfeit their position of being the, the, the agents or the stewards of God's good creation. And in their stead, the scripture says, Deuteronomy chapter 32, Daniel chapter 7, 10, and 11, we find that in the sort of grand scheme of things, actually who becomes the agents of God's will in the world are angels, friends, angels. And in fact, what do we know about Satan? He's a fallen what? Angel. So in the meantime, in the midst of our forfeiting the the job that we've been given to be stewards and the caregivers and the enablers of God's good world, the angels have been given sort of a temporary uh, job assignment, as it were. And then, of course, we know that uh, because of the cross of Jesus, Jesus, the Son, this is what the text says, makes he's made a little bit lower, right, than the angels in order to do for us what we could not do on our own. So Jesus, through the cross, becomes the, that's a king. He becomes the ruler, he becomes the true Lord of the world, right? This is how all of this plays out in scripture and how all of it works. And by faith, Jesus does what we cannot do on our own, and we get invited back to the position, this is Revelation 21, we get invited back to, The beginning again. That's the title of my sermon, friends. Back to the beginning. This is the whole narrative of the scriptures. And this is exactly what the chapter or the passage of Hebrews that we just read is talking about. He says that the humans were were a little lower than the angels. Jesus was a little lower than the angels for a while. He does what we cannot do for ourselves. He beats death. He puts death in its grave and enables by faith us to have the job that we were intended to have all along. So, the question, how does this happen? So this is the meta-narrative. Now, this is the micro-narrative of the Hebrews passage we just read. He speaks to how this really happens. First of all, and quite maybe most importantly, I would say incarnation. Incarnation is quite, uh, quite possibly, if we talk about doctrines in the Christian church... Incarnation is hands down my favorite one. Uh, you may not have a favorite doctrine. I get that. Yeah, you're not too many people do, but I do, and it's incarnation. I mean, just stop and think about this for a while. And especially in light of the context into which the scriptures are written. The gods, or God, whoever you think that might be in the context that this was written, are never concerned with humanity. They're never concerned with creation. They're always over and above. It's always this sort of subservient role. There's always animosity between the gods and humanity. Often humans are created out of conflict or out of war or out of the the gods' desire to have servants and people that they can just bid to do whatever it is that they do. It's never, never in a million years, it is a bombshell, the idea that God becomes one of us. That God enters, leaves heaven, the kingdom of God, whatever realm you want to call it, wherever God resides, that God leaves that place voluntarily and serves us. Mind-blowing. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1. One of the greatest chapters in the New Testament. And I'm just going to read 
all the way through verse 14, because it is, John says it better than anybody. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. The light, of course, we're speaking of is Jesus. So that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to it. The true light that gives light to everyone who was coming, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. That's what Hebrews is saying, right? Sons and daughters, uh, brothers and sisters. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Eugene Peterson says that the, the word became flesh and dwelt, yeah, like the word uh, moved into the neighborhood. So how does this happen, this passage in Hebrews that we're talking about, which ties into this grand narrative? What's he saying? First and foremost, incarnation, that Jesus has become one of us to accomplish for us what we could not accomplish on our own, and then gives it as a gift. This what happens here, the victory over death and sin and darkness and everything that has entered our world is given, is accomplished by Jesus and then given to us as a gift. So how does he do this? How does, how does Jesus have victory over sin and death? How does Jesus have uh, accomplished what he accomplishes? One might think that it's through power and through might and through war and sort of putting uh, uh, your asserting oneself on the enemy. And in fact, it's the opposite of that. This is the craziness, the paradox of this Christian story. That it's through, maybe number two, his suffering and his dying. His suffering with us and his dying for us. This is the second movement. So if the first movement is from, from, from wherever God resides, heaven, the kingdom, down to us, the second movement is one of identification and death. And why does it matter that Jesus becomes one of us? Why does it matter that Jesus becomes fully human? Remember, this, uh, in the Christian ch- history, in the church, there were a number, early on in the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th century, there were all these debates about Jesus and about the church and about how this was all played out. One of those debates was centered around the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. How do we hold both of those in tension? So there's this you know, historic debate of, uh, between this guy Gregory of Nazianzus, or something, I can't pronounce it, and this guy named Apollinarius. Apollinarius wanted to sort of strip Jesus of his humanity, and it was all about the divinity of God. And this Gregory guy, in response, says this, what has not been assumed cannot be restored. What he's saying is, for redemption to reach into every dark place, every corner of human existence, Jesus had to take on the existence of it entirely. All of humanity exists in Jesus. Not just a portion of it, not just one part of it, but everything that we experience, all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, 
And so in verse 9 of Hebrews we read, But we do see Jesus made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. This is the great exchange, the great reverse. That in Jesus, by faith, Jesus experiences and tastes all of our death and all of the darkness of humanity so that we might not. Verses 14 and 17 say, since, he, since the children have flesh and blood, us, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become merciful and the faithful high priest, we'll talk about that in a couple weeks, to who might serve God, might make atonement for their sins. This is why it is so important in the midst of a crazy world where there is all kinds of things lurking just below the surface, and the scripture says that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us, that Jesus has experienced what we experience, that as he suffers and dies, he tastes all that we taste, all of our brokenness, all of when despair comes, Jesus is the one who says, me too. I don't know if you've ever gone through something that's hard, But when somebody's able to say, and they're with you, and you're sharing that story with them, and they say, you know what? Me too. There's so much comfort in that moment when you know that somebody else has gone through what you've gone through. I remember uh, being with church planters. Uh, This job of of starting new churches is not... I was sitting, uh, just the other day, I went to this little pastoral thing, uh, you know, that's that's what I do with my day, by the way. When people, people always ask me, like, so... What, what exactly do you do? During, I mean, this, you do this full time. Like, what do you do? You, you know, you preach on Sunday, but then like for the rest of the week, what do you do? I go to pastoral things, guys. I go to play these little gatherings where other pastors are. And I was at this one, and this guy is at a, a, an established church, and he's talking about trying to like turn the Titanic around. Thank you, Amy Grant. Takes a little time sometimes. He's trying to turn the Titanic around. He's trying to take this established church and all these things that people say, we never do it that way or we always do it this way. And he's just one little click by, you know, every couple years we make one small change. And I looked at him and I was like, I could never do what you do. And he looks at me and he goes, I could never do what you do. But to be in a room with church planters when somebody goes, oh, don't you hate it when dot, dot, dot. Or don't you love it when? And people are like, yes, I know exactly what you're thinking. I know exactly what that's like. Have you ever been through some sort of suffering, some sort of trial, some sort of brokenness, and somebody's able to say, oh, I've been there. Anne Lamott said the greatest sermon she could ever preach is me too. Let's pray. (laughs) Me too. And what does it say? Or what does that small little phrase say? I've been there. I know. You are not alone. We're in this together. And so I guess I would just stop for a moment on this one and say to you this morning, and I know this is hard to get, even for me as a pastor of, you know, 15 plus years, went to seminary, this idea experientially, how does this work out? That's the part that it's a little bit of a leap, and I I get that. But I want to remind us what the scriptures are saying and what the truth of this message is. 
that whatever brokenness you have experienced, whether it's divorce, whether it's death, whether it's suicide, whether it's addiction, whether it's uh, somebody uh, stabbing you in the back relation, what, all of it, if the root of that thing is ultimately sin, our brokenness, then you can say with clarity and utter confidence that Jesus, who takes the sin of the world on his shoulders at the cross, has been there. He is not far off. He is not removed from your pain. He is not far from your suffering. But in fact, as he dies on the cross, ultimately and forever says, me too. So be encouraged. Even in the midst of our darkness, even in the midst of our pain, the message of the scriptures, the amazing news of the gospel is that you are not alone. And that though for a little while Jesus takes this position because this is a battle. This world that we live in, it has both agents of good and agents of evil working and battling. And so we get caught in the mix and caught in the crossfire at times. And it's painful and it sucks. But Jesus says, fear not, for I have overcome. Fear not, for greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So that's movement number two, this last movement. So to get to the beginning again, this whole narrative that the Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is writing about and into. The first movement is one of incarnation. The second is suffering and dying for us. Lastly, we see what we, what we get what he gets. And this one is just crazy. This last movement is one of gathering. Jesus gathers all who are willing to himself and says, they're with me. And in victory, and in resurrection, in healing, and in hope, we get what he gets. God will do for all of creation what God did for Jesus at Easter. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That what God did for Jesus at Easter, which is, resur- which is death, beating death, and then victory and resurrection, God will do for all of creation who's in Christ. All who Jesus gathers and says, they're with me. And it's anybody, anyone who will say yes, that we get what he gets. People say like, what's heaven going to be like? Just read Acts. Read the end of the story of the Gospels. Jesus is walking around. He's with his best friends and he's a new human. He's sort of, he's there. He's, he's the same. He's Jesus. They recognize him, but he's different. Something's different about his body. It's a new world that Jesus inaugurates and it's the one that God hoped and dreamed for. So we get what he gets. Unbelievable. Jesus is the pioneer of our salvation, Hebrews says. Pioneers are the ones who are out in the front. They blaze the trail. They whack through the jungle and blaze the trail. And those who are behind follow. This is what Jesus does. And some pioneers, some people, they do this for fame. They do this for money. They do this for glory. They do it for all kinds of different reasons. Like, I'm going to be the one who does this. Jesus whacks through the jungle, blazes a trail out of darkness. Why? Not for his own gain, but for love. Ultimate love. Sacrificial love. And we follow in his footsteps. He accomplishes for us what we cannot. And then gives back to us this invitation to be what we were always intended to be. Co-rulers and co-kingdom bringers with God in a new world. 
So, friends, when you see this meta-narrative of the scriptures, I think it's a little bit easier, and the lengths that God goes to to make this happen again, to go back to the beginning, I think we can begin to understand exactly what the author of Hebrews has been doing in the whole first two chapters. He's essentially saying, this is who Jesus is, this is what he did, this is what he invites us into. Because God has come a little lower than the angels to do what we could not. So Jesus can identify with our brokenness and our pain and also is the pioneer who blazes the trail out of the woods. I'm fighting back all sorts of desires to talk about Meryl Streep in a movie. Who went into the woods, I think is what it's called, right? Interestingly. And he blazes the trail out of the woods back to the beginning again and says, come and follow me. Come and follow me. Participate. Be a part of this. I'm going to pray. And I want to invite us. We, we sort of shifted things today. And we want to have uh, some time at the end here to really together declare to worship, right? Worship is ascribing worth to something. It's putting something in a, in a place or a position in our hearts that nothing else has. And it's to say, ultimately, Jesus, you did this for us. And so we sing. We pour out our hearts. We, we, we unite our voices together. And so I want to invite you into a time of worship. Um, whatever, if you want to stand, if you want to sit, if you want to kneel, uh, that's going to be great in a couple weeks because there are actually kneelers. Uh, but you could find places to do that here. Whatever, whatever response is in you, let it out. Let your body connect with your heart and your mind. And so let's sing together. Let me offer a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll, I want to invite you into that. God, this morning, uh, we he- here we are. We're gathered in this place. Not because it's special, not because it's holy, but because you're here, which means that it's special and it's holy. Would you open up the floodgates? Would you pour out your spirit on this room? in a way, God, that we can sense and feel where, where we, can, we can almost taste it and touch it. And God, I don't understand why that happens sometimes and why sometimes it doesn't, but I pray that that, that that would be the case today. We know that you're always here. We know that you're always with us. But would you give us a special extra <laughs> this morning? And wherever we are, God, whether it's in pain or in doubt or anxiety about something that's coming, whether we are grateful for the sunrise and breath in our lungs, wherever we are, God, we want to unite our voices. We want to do something that we can't do alone, which is together say we love you. And you are Lord. You are number one. You're the first priority. God, your hopes, your dreams for us, that's what we want. Your hopes, your dreams for the world, that's what we want. So God, we sing together and we reflect, uh, we direct our attention in our hearts and our voices uh, to you. The only one who's worthy, the only one who has conquered death and who's been victorious. The only one who's taken the sting, the worst, the worst, the worst, 
the enemy could offer, which is death. You've beaten it, and you put it in its grave forever. And so we say yes to you, and we sing. Would you stand as we close? And I'm actually going to have us sing that chorus one more time, just voices. Uh, usually I'll get up and I'll give a benediction of some sort, some closing thought, some encouragement as we go. Um, but today, I do it all the time. So it's your turn. So as we sing this chorus, Kaya, if you would, can you bring up the house lights? And I want you just to look around the room as we sing. Uh, and sing this with each other, for each other, over each other. This song that people who have followed Jesus have been singing for literally thousands of years. And remind yourself that you are a part of something that is bigger than you. That while your personal salvation is important, God is about saving the world. And you're a part of that. And you're a part of the people who have gone before us. And we stand on their shoulders. And there will be people who come after us. And they will stand on yours. So praise God from whom all blessings flow. Let's sing to each other. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the Praise Father, Son. and peace. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakencommunity or on Twitter at awakencommunity. See you next time.